This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. We read from God's Word this morning as it is found in Luke chapter 11. The Gospel according to Luke chapter 11. We read the first 13 verses of Luke 11 before we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism and Lord's Day 45. Luke 11. Hear the Word of God. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and said, Say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, Will he give him a stone, or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent, or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. We read that far in God's holy and inspired Word. We turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism based upon the Scripture which we just read in Lord's Day 45, page 25 in the back of the Psalter, Lord's Day 45, where the Catechism begins a section in that last part of its instruction on prayer. 
The third part of the catechism, we understand or it instructs us on how we might show our gratitude to God for so great a salvation. Now the catechism asks regarding prayer. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because it is the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us and also because God will give His grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires continually ask them of Him and are thankful for them. What are the requisites of that prayer which is acceptable to God and which He will hear? First, that we from the heart pray to the one true God only who hath manifested Himself in His Word for all things He hath commanded us to ask of Him. Secondly, that we rightly and thoroughly know our need and misery, that, we so, that we, so we may deeply humble ourselves in the presence of His divine majesty. Thirdly, that we be fully persuaded that He, notwithstanding that we are unworthy of it, will, for the sake of Christ our Lord, certainly hear our prayer as He has promised us in His Word. What hath God commanded us to ask of Him? All things necessary for soul and body, which Christ our Lord has comprised in that prayer He Himself has taught us. What are the words of that prayer? We read those words already in Luke 11, except that Luke does not include the last part, the doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the beginning of Luke 11 that we read, shows us an important scene. In verse 1, especially, we find the circumstances in which Jesus taught His disciples what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Notice that context. Before Jesus teaches that prayer, He Himself is engaged in His own private, focused, personal prayer. Jesus is not or was not a preacher that said, do what I say, not what I do. But He Himself prayed as He taught His disciples to pray. Jesus was busy. He was busy. As we might say, we are busy. Jesus was busy in His ministry. Jesus was busy in His preaching, in His healing, in His focus on the path of suffering that God had laid out for Him. Every step of the way, He was busy to do what God had given Him to do. To take upon Himself what God wanted Him to take upon Himself. But in all of His busyness, Jesus found the time. He made the time to pray. That's what we find Him doing in verse 1. He was praying in a certain place. That He was in a certain place means that He had found a secret place. He had spoken of a closet. He Himself went to the Mount of Olives or to the Garden of Gethsemane or to a desert place across the Sea of Galilee. 
or into a disciple's house to find a place where he might come before his God personally in private prayer. That's the context. And the disciples notice in verse 1 when they find him in this private personal prayer, they wait until he's done. They wait until he ceases to pray in this private focused manner. The disciples did not find Jesus praying a public congregational prayer. Oh yes, Jesus did that too. He prayed with His disciples. They did not find Jesus engaged outwardly in work and praying quietly in His heart as He worked, though Jesus must have done that too. But Jesus is probably on His knees and He is focused in private prayer. They wait for Him to be done. They do not interrupt Him. And when He ceased, that is after the disciples had seen His example, they are prompted to ask Him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught His disciples to pray. So in their minds, they had John teaching his disciples to pray. In their minds, they also had that Jesus Himself knows how to pray. This Jesus is earnest in prayer. His life of prayer is exemplary. We need to learn from this man of prayer. That brings us to the Gospel right away. Jesus is the intercessor of all intercessors. He is the one who lived a life of perfect prayer that is part of His perfect righteousness imputed unto us a people who do not pray as much and as well as we ought to. All of His good works of obedience we have said again and again needs to be said again and again is imputed unto us so that we stand before God perfect as He is, and included in that is Jesus' life of prayer. What a gospel. God reckons us, He counts us, He judges us, His elect people in Jesus Christ, as though we have prayed perfectly our whole life. Because that was Jesus. That's what we find in Luke 11. And not only did Jesus pray His entire life as part of the righteousness that which God imputes to us, but He continues to pray. That's part of the gospel. He has ascended into heaven, and as you know, he sits at God's right hand and he intercedes for us continually, continuously in perfect prayer for us, so that when we pray weekly and with sin tainting our prayers, he is that sympathetic high priest who brings our prayers perfectly before God's throne of grace. And God hears. And finding comfort in that right at the beginning of this section on prayer. Christ's disciples, not just the ones in Luke 11, but Christ's disciples here, don't respond to that gospel with an antinomian attitude toward prayer. But knowing this Christ of perfect prayer, 
we come to Him by His Spirit and we ask, teach us, Lord, to pray. We want to learn how to improve in prayer. And this too is part of the Gospel. He does. He teaches. He works it in us. Not only the instruction of how to as we consider this morning, but He works it in us to pray as He teaches us to. So consider with me Christ's teaching on prayer with the attitude in your heart, the desire, sincere desire as the disciples had. Lord, teach us to pray. Consider His instruction under the theme, Christ's teaching on prayer, first, the necessity, second, the manner, and finally, the content. The necessity of prayer, the manner of prayer, and the content of our prayer. Prayer, briefly defined, is the believer's conscious fellowship with God in which he speaks to his God. It is part of the believer's conscious fellowship with God. It is even his conscious fellowship with God wherein he speaks to that God. Beloved, the first part of that definition is important. Prayer is fellowship with God. Yes, our fellowship with God is more than only prayer. Fellowship is more broadly God sharing with us. God drawing nigh to us and sharing with us His Word. But prayer is part of that fellowship. For as God shares with us His Word and comes to us and gives unto us His gifts as He shares with us His Word, there is a response that He works in us to share with Him our Word. We speak in response to His love. That's part of the fellowship. I can prove that in many ways, but notice how the language of Lord's Day 45 proves that. In describing prayer, Lord's Day 45 describes prayer as fellowship. Answer 117. In the presence of His divine majesty. Now I'm speaking about humility. We'll get to that. That we must have in prayer. Notice that we humble ourselves in the presence of His divine majesty. That's prayer. Prayer is to come to the presence of His divine majesty. That is to come face to face with our God. And there, having heard Him speak to us, it is to speak into His ears, into His person. He will, answer 117 continues, for the sake of Christ our Lord, certainly hear our prayer. That's fellowship. As we respond to Him, He hears. He inclines His ear to our cries. He delights even in what we say to Him. There's an intimate fellowship with God. 
And prayer is part of it. Even as the baptism form calls it, our part in fellowship with God. In Luke 11, Jesus taught this to His disciples. So the catechism is based on Scripture. Jesus taught His disciples that prayer is fellowship with God with the word friend. Jesus in verses 5 and following speaks of a parable where a friend talks to another friend at midnight requesting of his friend bread. Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. Jesus repeats that word friend, friend, friend to make the point. Because the parable is supposed to illustrate friendship that we have with God. And if a friend to friend on this earth is willing to supply bread at midnight, Jesus is saying, then your friend in heaven will. He is your friend who has fellowship, who shares with you. There's a sharing of gifts even when there is midnight. Sharing of words. He first toward you. Even at midnight, yes. And you to Him. Your friend in heaven. That's prayer. And to you who are Protestant Reformed people, those terms of friendship and fellowship should immediately bring to your mind covenant. Fellowship is covenant with God. Prayer, you see, is one part of this covenantal fellowship with God. He comes to us and speaks to us and enables us and we respond to Him. We don't deserve this fellowship. We're sinners by nature, enemies who ought not be His friends, who ought not have this fellowship with God. We ought to be rejected from by Him, separated from Him, destroyed by Him. In terms of prayer, this fellowship with God, we not only have no power to approach unto Him and speak to Him of ourselves, we not only have no desire to speak to Him in prayer of ourselves, we have no right to have this fellowship with God. But the Gospel is that God in His mercy establishes an unconditional covenant with us as people. And having established that covenant, He fellowships with us. He caused His Son to endure the separation. He brought upon His Son the punishment we deserved instead so that we might live a life with Him. So that we might have fellowship. This covenanting with God. So that as Romans 5 verse 1 and 2 says, we have access. The way is open. For fellowship with our God. Yes, in prayer. In other words, beloved, 
it is important that we see prayer not first of all as something we must do. It is. But first of all, as a privilege, as a very blessing of salvation, as a very part of the covenant that God gives to us in His grace. It is fellowship with God. We have learned over the past years that prayer is not something that I do in order to get fellowship with God. No, I haven't. Prayer is not what I do in order to experience that fellowship with God. No, I haven't. It is not even a means unto an end of fellowship. Prayer is fellowship with God, beloved. It is fellowship with God. It's not a hoop to jump it through to get it. It is fellowship with God. It is the covenant life that God gives to us. It is a blessing of salvation. It is a privilege. Prayer, it is the Spirit's work. Breathe into us, breathe through us, and then breathe out of us back unto God. Consciously, as we engage willingly and consciously in this fellowship with our heavenly friend. That's so precious. It's a gift. We have no right of it of ourselves. We have no ability of it of ourselves. Children, it's not only that you must pray. You get to pray. You have the gift of prayer. It's not a chore. It ought to be a delight. Children, when mom says, it's, it's time that we have dessert, it would be very odd, wouldn't it, for you to take that privilege as a chore and say, do I really have to? No, you would receive it. And thanks. Young people, if your uncle said, Take a vacation on me. It would be odd, don't you think? That you would say, this is a chore. Do I really have to? It's a privilege. So view prayer. God of heaven and earth has come to you, made you His people, granted you access into His throne of grace at any moment, called you to Himself to pray, come apart and rest a while in prayer. That is more precious than dessert, than a vacation, than anything on this earth. It is a blessing of salvation. It is a taste of what you will enjoy in heaven. Beloved Protestant Reformed people, do you really love God's covenant? Do 
Or do you just like to be right about the doctrines of the covenant? Do you deem God's covenant as precious to you? Then we would be in prayer because it is the fellowship of God's covenant. Why pray before explaining the necessity as the catechism does? I have emphasized to you because it is fellowship with God, a blessing of salvation. The catechism explains why it's necessary and the first reason it is necessary is that because it is the chief part of thankfulness, the chief part of thankfulness. Understand that rightly. The Catechism does not say that thankfulness is the chief part of prayer. Now, there's truth to that too. That is, in prayer, the main part or a main part of prayer ought to be thanks. Thankfulness. But that's not the point of the Catechism, that thankfulness is the chief part of prayer, but rather that prayer is the chief part of thankfulness. Prayer is the chief part of thankfulness. Which means this, if you are a thankful Christian, then you will be a praying Christian. If you are a thankful Christian, then prayer will be your priority as the most important way to show God your gratitude. Do you want to show thanks to God for your salvation in Jesus Christ? Then the chief way is by praying. Now remember the context, the catechism includes obedience to the Ten Commandments. We've gone through those Ten Commandments. All those Ten Commandments, obedience to them, are ways in which we show our gratitude to God for His salvation. And without minimizing that, the catechism says, but the most important way even before obedience to the Ten Commandments, is prayer. Prayer. Tell Him thanks. Show Him thanks with your heart and mouth. Come to Him in fellowship and pray. If you don't pray, you show you're not thankful. Yes, little prayer means little gratitude. That's the negative. And if you try to show all sorts of other good works in your life. And people might say, that Christian, he, she is a, must be a very thankful Christian, but you don't pray. Then it doesn't matter what other people think. Prayer is the chief part of thanks. You've been chosen from eternity. Are you thankful? And pray. God has made you who are by nature enemies, his, his friends. Are you thankful? And pray. He has forgiven you all your sins, and He continues to forgive you, and He guarantees you eternal life in spite of your sins. Are you thankful? And pray. He has not spared His own Son, but given Him up for us all. And then with Him has freely given us all things so that all things must work for our good. Are you thankful? 
and pray. He has given you the very gift of prayer. Fellowship with God. Are you thankful? Then you would use the gift. This precious gift of prayer. The necessity of prayer is thanks. It is not to pay God back. But it is the chief part of thanks. It is not to gain your salvation and fellowship with God. It is to thank God for what you already have. Salvation and fellowship with God. The second explanation of prayer necessity is simple. God requires it of us. It is not only the chief part of thanks, it is God's requirement. He commands it. He demands it. You are obligated to pray. The Catechism says it is the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us. Some see a contradiction here. How can something that is an activity of thanks which, is, which should come forth spontaneously from the heart of the child of God, how can that be also at the same time a command? You must. There's no contradiction. As the child of God hears the command, so he does hearing the other commandments in God's law, but when he hears the command to pray out of thanks, to pray out of thanks for the gospel, He hears Jesus speak. He knows Jesus to be His Lord, Savior and Lord. And there is a stirring. There is a desire worked in the heart to obey. The very command is the powerful voice of Jesus Christ. To work within the child of God. To pray in thanks. Prayer is covenant fellowship with God, a blessing of salvation, the chief part of thanks, a requirement. And finally, prayer is necessary because it is the orderly manner in which God blesses. It is the orderly manner in which God blesses. God will give His grace and Holy Spirit, the Catechism says, to those only who with sincere desires continually ask Him of Him. Let me be clear about what the catechism means here. First of all, with a negative. The catechism does not merely mean to identify those who pray with those who receive grace and the Holy Spirit. The catechism means that that those who pray also are the ones who receive His grace and Holy Spirit. That is true. But the catechism does not only mean that. To limit the catechism's meaning to that is to be dishonest with what the catechism says. The catechism means not only that those who pray have the grace and Holy Spirit of God, but more. It means, and it says, that only those who pray will receive the grace and Holy Spirit. There is an orderly manner in which God works. 
not because prayer causes God to give grace and Holy Spirit, but this is simply God's good pleasure, His will, to give His grace and Holy Spirit in the way of praying. Grace and Holy Spirit, the Catechism describes or uses those terms to refer to spiritual blessings which God gives as we pray. We have to understand that correctly. Grace here means especially spiritual strength. Yes, grace also means God's attitude of favor toward His people, and we have that all the time. That doesn't change. God has a attitude of favor toward His elect people from eternity unto eternity. But when the Catechism uses grace here, it refers not to that attitude of favor to, of God toward us all the time, but it refers to that spiritual power which He works in us to give us spiritual blessings, even to increase those blessings within our heart. So that when we read grace and Holy Spirit, those two are not detached. The Catechism is talking about how the Spirit is sent from God to bring grace or spiritual blessings and spiritual strength into our hearts. Yes, beloved, the Spirit does that more and more in our life. He does. He strengthens us. He grows us. In what manner? He works in us the same Spirit to pray. The Spirit works in us before prayer. The Spirit works in us during prayer. And the Spirit works in us after prayer as well. That is often true. And that is what the catechism is talking about. God often blesses us with His spiritual strength as we pray and even after we pray. This is true about physical blessings. Hannah prayed and then afterward, God gave her a child. Elijah prayed. And then afterward, God sent rain and ended the drought and famine. But it's especially true, the Catechism is saying, that God works in us to pray by His Spirit. And then He helps us to fight against our besetting sin. He works in us to pray then He helps us grow in our faith. He works in us to pray. And it increases within us even the assurance of that faith to dispel the doubts that Satan would bring upon us. He works in us to pray. And in the way of prayer, there is spiritual growth. The fruits of the Spirit worked in us more and more. 
Again, that's not to say that prayer earns anything. Not one of those blessings. It is not to say that God is dependent on our prayers. Not at all. Or that is a condition which I must fulfill to gain any blessing. This is simply the orderly manner that God works. Jesus says it explicitly. It's His promise even. Believe His promise. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and He shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Jesus teaches us that prayer is a blessing of salvation. Fellowship with God itself is necessary because it is a chief part of thankfulness. It is required And it is the orderly manner in which God gives spiritual blessings. How do we pray the manner? The first most basic point about the manner is the direction of our prayer. Our prayers are to be directed up. That first of all, simply, children, up. The catechism means that when it says that we from the heart pray, to the one true God only, who hath manifested Himself in His Word. Pray to God. And that seems like so basic an answer that we might say, let's move on to the second right away. But pause, think about it. Meditate, consider what this means. We pray to the one true God. It means more than this. It means more than that we shouldn't pray to Baal and Ashtaroth, and we shouldn't pray to the Virgin Mary and, and St. Peter. That's true. We should pray only to the one true God, not an idol. But also this, beloved, that when we pray, we are not to be praying toward other people. Yes, Yes, it is true. As we pray, we will be an example to other people. Jesus is an example here to His disciples, as we said. But when we pray, our mind is not to be throwing our prayers horizontally to impress them, to rebuke them, to send a message that way. It's easy to do. It's easy to do. As we pray with others around the dinner table or in a congregational prayer, our prayers must be directed to God, to God alone, who has manifested Himself in His Word. That's an important description. Not only up, children, but up to the persons of the Trinity. Not up to angels or the saints up there, but to God Himself. And how do we know, how do we think about who this God is so that we focus upon praying to Him and to Him alone? Where do we find the description of who this God is? Where do we find a knowledge of this God accurately in His Word? So a very practical point, that as we pray, we're in His Word. In His Word, beloved. Open up the Bible as you pray. Read His Word 
and pray to Him in response to His Word. That your prayers might be directed upward to Him alone. Regarding this direction of prayer, remember that the direction is upward to God as revealed in His Word, but especially this, through, through Jesus Christ. We will, for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord, hear our prayers. For Jesus' sake. Don't say that without meaning. For Jesus' sake means that we're praying not by ourselves, as though our prayers are so grand. They're not. We're praying through our intercessor, Jesus Christ, who not only equips us to pray by His Spirit, but when we and after we have tainted all those prayers that the Spirit has enabled us to pray with our sin. He takes them and perfects them before God as our intercessor. Pray consciously upward through our crucified and risen and ascended mediator. The Catechism gives more points about the manner of prayer, not only the direction, but also the heart. First, the heart must be sincere. Prayer is to be sincere. God will give His grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires ask. The literal German there gives us an understanding of sincere. Literally, God will give His grace and Holy Spirit to those only who groan inwardly. That's the literal translation. Those who groan inwardly. And the Catechism is not making up some language there by itself, but, but is drawing the language of Romans 8, where Romans 8.22 speaks of the Spirit groaning within us. And then also God's people, along with the creation, groaning or sighing. That gives you insight into what sincere means. To pray sincerely is to have our groaning or a sighing inwardly, not necessarily an outward sighing and groaning audibly to others, but it's an inward groaning or sighing as we pray. It's not a mere speaking of words with our mouth and with our brain. There's an inward sighing and groaning. That's sincerity before God. Humbly, that's a second manner about the heart related to sincerity is humility. Humility. Second, the Catechism says, we rightly and thoroughly know our need and misery, so we may deeply humble ourselves in the presence of His divine majesty. Remember, beloved, it's not a right you have of yourself. You not only aren't able to pray and don't want to pray of yourself, but you don't have the right. Humble yourselves, recognizing that. Your prayer is full of sin. Humble yourself before God. Your prayer ought never be a demand. 
humble yourself before God, it must always be a request, a plea. Your prayer is not, my will be done, but rather, thy will be done. That's humility. Your prayer is not to impress God with how pious you are, but rather to be impressed by His mercy in spite of your weak prayer. Your prayer is not to, to point out how so many other people are wrong and they need to repent, though you may include a desire that they repent. But first is to confess your own sin as the chief sinner. Humbly, beloved, humbly, deeply humble yourself before God. Bow. Your head, is to, your head bowed is to express that humility. Confess, yes, your sins. That is to express your humility. Specifically before God. On the knee even. As is a biblical expression of humility. To God, sincerely, humbly, continually. The Catechism makes that explicit. With sincere desires, continually ask them of Him. Jesus points that out, this out also in verse 8 with the word importunity. A friend in the house didn't rise at first out of his bed to help his friend. But he kept knocking. He kept asking. And because of his importunity, Jesus says in, the, in that parable, he will arise and give him as many as he needed. Importunity means persistence. Even shameless persistence. Not caring whether he might annoy another. He kept on asking and knocking. That word knock gives you the idea of persistence. Children, when you go up to someone's door, you don't bring your knuckles down once and then stop. But you knock. That's the picture of persistence. You bring it again and again before God, knowing that your God and your friend in heaven will not be annoyed with you. And He does not do it out of Mere desire to get rid of your annoyance. But He actually calls you to and wants you to be persistent. Shamelessly persistent. Continually praying even for the same thing. Again and again. Out of your heart. That you might know, you see. When He answers your prayer. That it wasn't because of you. It wasn't because of your prayer. It was because of His grace that He fulfilled your request and in His time. Continually, continually we're called to pray. And finally, confidently. Not self-confidence, for that would contradict the humility with which we are to pray. But with Christ's confidence, we're fully persuaded, the Catechism says, that He, notwithstanding that we are unworthy of it, 
will, for the sake of Christ our Lord, certainly hear our prayer. This is the confidence of faith. We're to pray with that confidence of faith. Not leaning on myself, not leaning on my prayer, not even leaning upon my trust in God. But leaning upon the person of Jesus Christ alone. For His sake, He will hear. I'm fully persuaded of it. He will hear. Christ makes my prayer which stinks. Christ makes that prayer a sweet smell in His nostrils. Trust Him, beloved. Be confident that He will hear. He will answer. Jesus is your confidence. What do I include in my prayer? We're to pray to God sincerely, humbly, continually, confidently with this content. The Catechism answers all things necessary for soul and body which Christ our Lord hath comprised in that prayer He has taught us. Regarding the content, we'll get more in depth on it as we consider the details of the Lord's prayer in the following sermons. But for now, notice first, more broadly and generally, Prioritize the spiritual over the material. God will give us what? His grace and Holy Spirit, the Catechism says. The Catechism emphasizes the spiritual we are to ask for and the spiritual that God will give. Jesus makes this point in a striking manner. Include the spiritual as a priority over the material. Verses 11 through 13. He gives that parable of a son asking his father for a piece of bread or for fish or for, for an egg. And Jesus says, the father won't give him a stone or a snake or a scorpion instead. Then notice when Jesus takes that parable and applies it to Heavenly Father, toward us His children dear. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Now, Jesus doesn't say, how much more will your Heavenly Father give you bread and not a stone, fish and not a serpent, an egg and not a scorpion, he could have said that, and that is true. Father God also supplies these material things in daily bread. But Jesus abruptly changes the thought to the spiritual. How much more will your heavenly Father give you even greater gifts than the material? The very Holy Spirit. That's the point. The spiritual. Over the material. Yes, ask for material things too. Physical help that is not unspiritual. To ask for his supply of daily bread, as Jesus teaches. But the spiritual, 
is what he emphasizes in the Lord's Prayer. What he calls us unto. Regarding content, notice, secondly, the priority of communal over individual. The church community over the individual person. In the model prayer, notice, our Father, not my Father, our Father. Not give me my daily bread, give us our daily bread. Not lead me not into temptation, but lead us not into temptation. And that first person plural pronoun shows us that in our prayers, while we may include me, and at times those earnest personal prayers will be, help me, Lord, my needs, I need thee. We may pray that way. But the priority in our prayers, the normal way of praying, is for me, yes, but included all of God's people along with me. Not my needs to the detriment of others in the church. Help me along with my brothers and sisters. It's unselfish. It's outward looking. It's a prayer for me along with the church. The priority of the spiritual over the physical. The priority of the communal over the individual in our prayers. And finally, the content. Not only petitions, not only petitions. If the catechism is correct, and it is, that prayer is the chief part of thanks, then we will thank Him for what He has already given and not just ask for what we do not yet have. If there is a petition for forgiveness, and there is, Forgive us our debts. That implied is that before that petition, prayer will include confession of sin. If prayer is fellowship with God as we begin, and it is, then prayer will not only be asking Him to do something for us, but it will be an enjoyment of conversation with our God to tell Him how much we love Him. For what kind of friendship would it be if we only talked to a friend in order to ask him or her for a favor? Prioritize, beloved, the spiritual over the material, the community over the individual. As to your content as well as you pray, praise, adore, thank, confess, express your trust, fellowship with your God. As you do so, then bring your petitions to your Heavenly Father. And regarding all this content, we conclude, He hears us. He hears us. He receives us. In spite of all our weaknesses and sins, though we have not prayed with as much humility, continually, with strong confidence, though we have not prayed 
including their necessary content as we should. Though we have omitted much, we should have included and added that which we should have not added. He receives us nevertheless. He hears us for Jesus' sake. He has fellowship with us. And He does answer and fulfill all of our requests according to His will. For our good, knowing better than we do what we need. The child of God hearing that gospel of fellowship with God in Jesus Christ does not conclude Well, then I don't need to pray. I don't need to work. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them to be notified as future messages are published. We welcome you to join us on Sundays for worship at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org. Also, you can follow us on our Hope Protestant Reformed Church Facebook page. And you can email the Reform Witness Committee with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.